You know, when Pastor Scott started this sermon on the names of God, or this uh, sermon series rather, I was really excited because there's a lot of names. And um, I had the opportunity to, to preach in, again in a few weeks uh, as we're kicking off Lent. And uh, I'm not going to spoil the name that I'm going to talk about then, but it was almost the name I talked about today. And it's a name that I only learned about like a month ago. And it blew my mind. So make sure you come back in a month and... Uh, <laughs> And get that sermon. That's, that's my like YouTube, like, subscribe, hit the notification bell pitch. Um, <laughs> but no, there's a lot of really good names. And so when I decided to hold off on that other one, I had to figure out, man, what am I going to preach about today? Now, the, the, the nice thing is I didn't actually have to figure it out because, you know, God is in control, not me. So I don't have to do it. He is doing it. And up there, there's a new sign. It's in purple, which I love. Purple is my favorite color. And pink is my second favorite, and I did not plan that. So look at God, won't he do it? Him who is able. Him who is able. There's a few different passages of Scripture that have that kind of phraseology. One's in Ephesians, which is a great passage. But the one that we're going to talk about today is in Jude. You might recognize this verse every time I preach, I say it at the end, the benediction that I use. Him who is able to keep you from falling. Him who is able to keep you from falling. That's a little too long for a sign. So him who is able to keep you from falling. What does that mean? We're going to get into that because I used to have a love-hate relationship with this verse. But before we get there, which, I mean, that's, that's like the best part. i got to end with the best part. Otherwise, you're all going to be like, man, that was really good, and leave 20 minutes early and miss the membership class, and, and everything will fall apart. Um, <laughs> so I want you guys to understand who Jude is. First of all, Jude's a guy. He was the half-brother of Christ, just like James. So James is the one that we usually think about as being like Jesus' brother because, well, I don't know, we talk about James more. Book of James, really good book, highly recommend it. Uh, you know, it's, it's in scripture, so it's safe to recommend from the stage. So James is, is really good, uh, but Jude, here's the interesting thing. Jude, even though he was the half-brother of Christ, just like James, he didn't have faith in God and take Jesus as his personal Lord and Savior and accept that reality until after Jesus had already resurrected. He waited for the dude to die and come back before he was like, okay, fine. I'm just saying, as the youngest of five sons, I get it. If one of my brothers was like, hey, John, I'm the Messiah, I would be like, no, you're not. <laughs> just, there's, a, there's a relationship that, you, that siblings have that just makes you kind of uh, for me at least, sympathize with Jude a little bit for taking a little bit longer than some others to have faith in Christ. He was like, you know, Jesus, he heals people, and, and, and Jude's like, I don't know, like Moses made water come out of a rock, so, you know, he wasn't the Messiah. So I just imagine Jude's got like all these excuses, one after the other after the other. Every time God does something incredible in Christ Jesus, Jude is like, eh, yeah, but, you know, other people have too. And it wasn't until Jesus came back from the dead that uh, Jude is like, okay, you know what? Other people have come back, but someone always had to, like, pray over them. And, and if, it's, if it's the modern day, someone was, like, shaking them while they were praying to really make sure they got it. But no one prayed over Jesus to make him come back. He just did. And that's kind of hard to argue against. And so it convinced Jude. 
the half-brother of Jesus. And when he writes this letter, he writes it with the intent, originally, of contending for the faith. Uh, well, it's, it's a little more complicated than that. Let me read the first couple verses. They're not going to be on the screen, uh, which is good. I'm actually not using the New American Standard right now, um, which is just apocryphal to me. Um, but it's okay. So this is the, this is the English Standard Version. It's, I think it's my wife's favorite, if that's correct. I don't know. She's not giving me a thumbs up or anything. Oh, it's, she just likes it. Um, this was a, a Christmas gift from my wife. It's a study Bible. If you're familiar with Dr. David Jeremiah, uh, he did a study Bible, and she got it for me, and so I'm using this today. Uh, so I'm just going to read the first couple verses here. Jude, a servant of Jesus Christ and brother of James, to those who are called, beloved in God the Father, and kept for Jesus Christ, may mercy, peace, and love be multiplied to you. Beloved, although I was very eager to write to you about our common salvation, I found it necessary to write appealing to you to contend for the faith, for that once, uh, the faith that was once for all delivered to the saints. For certain people have crept in unnoticed who long ago were designated for this condemnation, ungodly people who pervert the grace of our God into sensuality and deny our only master and Lord, Jesus Christ. This guy didn't even believe in Jesus until after Jesus resurrected. And then he starts his book saying, I'm the brother of James, and I'm the servant of Christ. He could have said he was the brother of Christ. That wasn't a lie. He was a half-brother, but you know. He revered him so much when that reality came to him. Man, this guy really is God. He didn't even say that he was his brother. No, in fact, he said he was his servant, which is uh, how the ESV translates it, the New American Standard says bondservant, and I've talked about this before, but the, the word being used here is doulos, and it means slave. It's the same word that Peter uses to describe himself, John uses, and also Paul. That they are a slave of Christ. This, this morning, we sang that song, No Longer a Slave to Fear. The song's called No Longer Slaves. It's beautiful. And when we talked about this concept in young adults like a year and a half ago, uh, our, our youth and young adult pastor now, Garrett, uh, he had such an amazing insight into this passage. I challenged him. I was like, okay, so answer me this. Jesus says, I no longer call you slaves. Why does Paul say, I am a slave of Christ? That's a question. They seem to contradict, don't they? And I had what I thought was a really good answer ready to go. I just wanted to see what the young adults came up with. And Garrett's answer was better than mine. So I'm going to give you his and not mine. And he talked about how in the Old Testament, Hebrew slaves, the, the, the relationship was very different than the kind of slavery that we think about in the modern era, the, the horrible, wretched slavery. Now, slavery wasn't great, but there were instances where the, the person who was in this, this seven-year indentured servitude to someone else ended up living a better life than they did on their own, and when their time was up and their master set them free, they could instead choose to go back and say, no, I'm going to stay with you because you've given me a better life than I ever had. Now, that is an imperfect model of what we're talking about, but in the same way, Jesus has set us free. We can now choose Jesus to be our Lord to be our master. It's a slavery of choice, but it's to a perfect master. Jude, 
the brother of Christ, calls himself a slave of Christ. It's powerful. It's a powerful reminder. So, he wants us to contend for the faith. We're going to talk about three concepts today, past, present, and future. They're pretty easy for us to grasp. Past is stuff that already happened. The future is stuff that hasn't happened. And and the present is this infinitesimally thin line that all it does is just convert the future to the past. And it's just going along and we're along for the ride. And so the first thing that Jude wants us to understand is where we came from. Because that's the first step in contending for your faith, is to understand your faith, to understand scripture, to understand where our faith comes from, where that foundation is. And so we need to, point number one, remember the past. There's a TV show that I used to watch all the time. Uh, It was called Andromeda. It was a sci-fi show. I I loved it. It starred Kevin Sorbo. Most of you might know as Hercules. Um, He also was in uh, the God's Not Dead movies. I haven't seen him, but he's in them. And uh, yeah, so it, it was it was pretty campy. It was it was not like I don't know. I loved it. I'm not going to try and defend it, but I loved it. And every episode started with some random quote that the writers of the show came up with and attributed to some fictional character. And it was just this still on the screen for a few seconds, and it would go away. And one of those quotes has stood out to me for the last 15 years. And it said this. Those who fail to learn history are doomed to repeat it. Those who fail to learn history correctly are simply doomed. Those who fail to learn history correctly are simply doomed. Why? Because when we are looking at history and we're using it as a foundation for the present, if that foundation is bad, then the house that we build is going to fall apart. We live in Florida. Our foundations are sitting on sand. Bible says not to do that. We're all supposed to leave. (laughs) Sermon over, evacuate your homes, go north. (laughs) No, um, but our, our foundation needs to be solid. And so we need to make sure that we are studying reality when we look at history, that we're studying truth. And the best way to know that for sure is to look at what scripture says. And so Jude is saying there's these people who have snuck in, who have tried to pervert uh, grace into license to sin. And here's what's really interesting. When we get to he who is able to keep you from stumbling, we're going we're gonna to have to have that conversation because you could use it and this is a bad idea, by the way, and exactly what he's saying not to do, you could use it as a license to sin. It's not a license to sin, but you could use it that way. You could abuse it that way. And so we need to remember the past. We need to study this book. We need to understand what God says about things. We need to be able to give an account for the actions that we make. Do they line up with this? Do they? And so that is what Jude ended up having to write it about. He wanted to just write a nice, happy letter about salvation. And instead, he was like, I got to say something because there's people in the church who are starting to pervert the gospel and we got to fix it. So point number one, we have to remember the past. And now we're going to read Jude uh, 17 through 21. And uh, there's only one chapter. So I, I don't mean chapters 17 through 21, but verses. They're going to be on the screen. Again, I'm reading a different version. You can pick whether you read or listen. It's up to you. 
starting in verse 17. But you must remember, beloved, the predictions of the apostles of our Lord Jesus Christ. They said to you, in the last time there will be scoffers following their own ungodly passions. It is these who cause divisions, worldly people, devoid of the Spirit. But you, beloved, building yourselves up in your most holy faith, praying in the Holy Spirit, keep yourselves in the love of God, waiting for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ that leads to eternal life, and have mercy on those who doubt. (laughs) We talked about that already. In verse 23, save others by snatching them out of the fire. To others show mercy with fear, hating even the garment stained by the flesh. Whew, that's a lot. Build yourselves up on your most holy faith. Pray in the spirit. Keep yourselves in the love of God and look forward to the mercy of Jesus Christ. So we remember the past and we look to the future. That's pretty straightforward so far. I feel like you guys are, are following along okay and that's great and I'm glad to hear that. Look to the future. When he talks about the mercy of Jesus Christ, what is he talking about? Now we can say salvation, okay, but if you've already been saved and those are the people he's writing to, what mercy do we still have to look forward to? What mercy could he be talking about? Because again, he's writing to people who are saved, so he's not talking about salvation. So what is he talking about? I would, I would contend he's talking about this, where Jesus says this in John six thirty seven: the one who comes to me, I surely will not cast out. He's saying that we don't just have salvation, we have security in that salvation. God saves us, and then he keeps us. And that's kind of what we're going to end up talking about here in a little bit. But it's really important to understand this, that the mercy of Jesus Christ is for salvation, but it is an ongoing mercy. It continues long after the point of salvation. Every single time we screw up, he is faithful to forgive. Every single time. And now we get to my favorite part of the book of Jude. The part that I quote at the end of all of my sermons. This is uh, the the last couple uh, verses of Jude. It's verses uh, 22 through 25, and we're going to spend a lot of time. I mean like three hours on this, okay? Uh, We only have enough lunch for the people in the membership class, but you guys can ration it out. (laughs) Jude 22, uh, all the way to the end. And have mercy on some who are doubting. Save others, snatching them out of the fire, and, have, uh, some, uh, and on some have mercy with fear, hating even the garment polluted by the flesh. We read that already. Now to him who is able to protect you from stumbling and to make you stand in the presence of his glory, blameless with great joy, to the only wise God, our Savior, through Jesus Christ, our Lord, be glory, majesty, dominion, and authority before all time, now and forever. Amen. What does that mean? I know what you're thinking. Maybe I know what you're thinking. Maybe you, this is none of what I'm about to say is going to be new to you, but I said I had a love-hate relationship with this verse for a really long time. Uh, If you don't know the idea of ending all of my sermons with this benediction, I actually stole from another preacher. His name is Dr. Rutland. He was the president at ORU while I was there, and he did it twice a week in chapel for four years. And for the first three years, I was like, okay, that's fine. But like, what? What does it mean that he can keep me from stumbling? Because I still sin. I still mess up. So he can, but he doesn't? 
I wrestled with that. Uh, until a truth was revealed to me about this passage. And, and, I, and I think this might resonate with you. When we talk about his ability to keep us from, from stumbling, what we're not saying is that he's going to keep us from sinning. That might feel a little uncomfortable, because maybe that's how you've always interpreted it. And you've never really challenged or questioned the idea, okay, if he can, why doesn't he? Surely Jude isn't saying that anything you do is no longer sinful, since at the beginning of Jude, he's talking about contending your faith because there are people who are saying that no matter what you do, it's no longer sinful. So that's not the point he's making. And surely he's not saying that that we never sin once we're saved because all throughout Scripture, that is not the case. As a matter of fact, I I have a a verse written down uh, from uh, just a couple pages back in your Bible uh, from John's first letter that he wrote, uh, chapter 1, verse 8, where he says, and this in context is the same, but I I encourage you to go and and read. It doesn't take that long. Chapter 1, verse 8, if we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, and the truth is not in us. John is again talking to people who are saved. If we claim to be without sin, we deceive ourselves, rely into ourselves. No one in here can say, I'm sinless. So Jude is not saying that God's ability to keep us from stumbling is going to allow us to experience sinless perfection here on earth. So what is he saying? And this is where my favorite word comes into play, context. And when you're a pastor and you have some amount of time on your hands... You spend uh, a decent amount, at least I do, looking not just in commentaries, but in uh, uh, Bible dictionaries. Because my brain, I'm not that smart. I gotta like, look what words mean sometimes. And especially in other languages. So I wanted to see what's the Greek word he used here to keep us from stumbling. Okay, if I don't think that that means sin, what could that possibly mean? What is the word he uses for stumbling? And here's what's really interesting. He uses a word, uh, Jude does, that is nowhere else in scripture. It's not the same word used for stumbling block. It's not the same word for falling away from the church. It's not the same word. It's, it's literally one usage, okay? And it's, this is a, yeah, apteisos is the word, apteisos. One place in scripture, Jude verse 24. Apteisos. What does it mean? To keep from stumbling, helpful. To stand firm, it's a little helpful. And then the third little point that I found that made it all make sense. To make us exempt from stumbling. And there it clicked. What does it mean to be exempt from stumbling? He's talking about falling away from the faith. He's talking about veering off the path. He's talking about losing salvation. He's talking about, at the end of our life, ending up in hell. He is able to keep that from happening. And that is a truth. That's a truth that we already believe. And so suddenly, I started to love this verse because I recognized that what Jude is saying, he is able to protect you from falling away from himself. And stand in the presence of his glory with what? Great joy. When, (laughs) 
He literally keeps us unfallen. Do you hear that? When you screw up, when you sin, when I sin, when I lie, when I make a mistake, when I get angry, and it's not righteous indignation, which, by the way, pretty much every single person is terrible at, don't fool yourself. Okay, be angry and do not sin, for the anger of man does not achieve the righteousness of God. Right, that is in the Bible. And I struggle with that sometimes. I used to have a real anger problem. Every once in a while, that feeling still creeps up inside me. And I have to contend with that. But when I make a mistake, Jesus didn't write my name in the Lamb's Book of Life in pencil, and he's not holding on to an eraser. (laughs) Yeah, praise God. We have security in our salvation. He loves us so much that when we screw up, what is he doing? Jesus is literally in heaven advocating to the Father on our behalf, saying, no, 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 I know they screwed up, but do you remember what I did? I covered it. It's taken care of. He keeps us from falling away. He protects us. He loves us so much, he he doesn't let us fall off the path. And this was was mind-blowing to me. That, that what Jude is saying here is not he who is able to keep you from sinning. It's he who is able to literally keep you from falling like Lucifer did. We're not condemned for eternity. We've been saved. And he can keep that salvation. He can keep it. He can protect it. In Revelation uh, 7, there's a passage where John sees these people worshiping around the throne in, in white robes. <clears throat> And there's this, this realization that their, their robes are white because they've been washed by the blood of the Lamb, which is a really Christian-y way of saying that these people's sins have been removed from them by the sacrifice that Christ made on the cross. It's a reminder that he is the one who keeps us from stumbling, not us. We can't. Why? Because most of us have already sinned today. And if we haven't, we're about to. <laughs> And we're probably going to do it tomorrow and the next day and the day after that. And we're going to keep messing up. So if this isn't licensed to sin, what, is, what does that mean? That, uh, uh, that we're not supposed to sin, but we still do. And yet scripture says, like, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. If we're not supposed to sin, and that's kind of like what all the commandments are about is not sinning, then like, how do we do this? It seems so unattainable. It seems so hard. You're not supposed to do it. Have you read the Old Testament? You're not good at it. Neither am I. We can't do it. Uh, the, the, the best explanation I have ever heard of what the Old Testament is, it goes like this. When you get up in the morning, Jim, you've been in showbiz. When you get up in the morning and you've got to be on camera, what are you thinking about? What you're going to look like. Okay, if you, if you want to find out what you look like, what do you got to do? Look in the mirror. You guys, this sermon writes itself. <laughs> you look in the mirror. A- A- Angela, when you look in the mirror, what do you see? <laughs> Maybe wrong person. I don't know. <laughs> that look told me you don't want me to say it. <laughs> what do you see? You, you don't, I don't I, at least I don't look in the mirror and go, look at that sexy guy. 
No, I look in the mirror and I'm like, I think I need to put a little bit of foundation. I got a little blemish right there. I'm going to preach and I'm going to be on camera, right? Or when you're in showbiz, you're worried about the way you look. You have to present yourself a certain way in showbiz. Mirrors are really, really important. They allow us to see something we would otherwise be unable to see. I can't see my forehead without some sort of reflective surface. Okay. So the Old Testament, and more particularly, the Old Covenant, the law, the original law handed down to Israel by Moses for all of mankind was inevitably nothing more than a mirror. Showing all of us that we are incapable of doing it our own. We cannot achieve it. So that when he sends his son Jesus, we recognize we need it. If someone buys you foundation, you're like, really? Ouch. Right? But if you got a mirror, you can look in the mirror. You can, when you receive the foundation, you're like, thanks. Or you can love yourself the way you are. That's a good thing. But it doesn't help my illustration. <laughs> but no. So the, the Old Testament and the covenant is a mirror revealing to us that we are incapable of achieving it on our own. We are incapable of keeping ourselves from stumbling, falling, or incapable of not sinning. God in his great mercy and plan, he found a way. It doesn't keep us from sinning, but it keeps us in him. And that's so much more important. I'd rather, I'd rather be in God's will than live a really earthly good life. I would so much rather be able to enter the gates of heaven. And like some of the Israelites here, well done, my good and faithful servant, than to live a really good life here on earth and get to heaven and have Jesus say, I never knew you. It's not about doing the right things. Jesus is, is really, really uh, specific about that, as a matter of fact. Depart from me, you doers of iniquity. Right? These were people who were casting out demons and healing people in the name of Christ. But they didn't have a relationship with him. It has nothing to do with what we do and everything to do with our being. And we are in Christ. That is our being. It's his doing. He did it on the cross. It's finished. It's over. It's done. Pack your bags. You're saved. The second that you surrender your life to Christ, you have been secured for eternity because God is good. And the crazy thing is, he's glad to do it. He's glad to do it. How many of you are, are glad to not just forgive your enemies, but to then invite them over for dinner? And, and after dinner, give them a, a gift card to their favorite restaurant so they can take their spouse on a date a week later. And then when they get back, they, they get back from their date and they show up at their house and you've, you've cleaned their other car and you're in the process of washing the side of their house and making it clean. None of us would do that. And God does so much more. He does so much more. And he does it with a smile on his face. He is able to keep you unfallen. He is able to keep you in him. And even when you screw up, I think, I think I picked this, I think I made this phrase myself. Maybe not. Maybe it's been so long that I don't remember where I got it from. 
but uh, I like to, to remind folks, and, and this is especially easy in uh, youth ministry because I know kids like weird things. God is not an angry kid on an anthill with a magnifying glass. He's not. He's not sitting up there going, ha, got him. He's not waiting for that. No, what is he doing? When that happens, what's happening? He's keeping us from stumbling. He's like, ah, John, again. Okay, we're going to work on that. You're good, but we're going to work on that. And that is the, 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 the lovingness of God, his nature. He is not interested in shaming you for your mistakes. He wants you. And that's what I want you to hear this morning. He wants you. He's not stuck with you. He chose you. You've been adopted. What is adoption? Picking. Has anyone here ever adopted a kid? I'm curious. We got one hand, two hands, three hands. Do you love that child any less because you didn't give birth to them or, or you didn't participate in the creation of that kid? No, absolutely not. You chose them. It's, it, adoption is a beautiful thing. Beautiful. And that is what God did with all of you and with me and with you watching online. God chose you. He wants you. He's not stuck with you. When you mess up, he's not disappointed in you. When you have fear, he's not mocking you. He's reaching his hands out to you. That's what I want you to hear this morning. He chose you. He wants you. He's proud of you. And he's keeping you from stumbling. The day that you cross the threshold and you enter into his gates, what is Jesus going to do? He's going to take you by the hand and he's going to walk you into the throne room of God. And you're going to have a white robe on. And Jesus is going to be looking at God. And he's going to start talking to himself, which for us would be weird, but for him, it's holy. <laughs> and Jesus is going to look at God and he's going to say, Dad, David Taylor, blameless. Dad's going to say, okay. And David, you're free to go. And then he's going to walk back over to the gates. He's got to do it one at a time. There's going to be a long line outside of heaven. And he's going to grab Gary. And he's going to take Gary over. And he's going to go, Dad, Gary Condoff. And Dad's got a file on Gary. <laughs> Sorry, Gary. God sees it all. He's got a file on Gary, and Jesus is going to see the file, and he's going to go, blameless. And God's going to say, okay, amen. And that's what he's going to do for each and every one of us. He is doing it with joy, with great joy. So, some translations will say exceeding joy. You know what you don't do when you have exceeding joy? Hey, God, Gary, uh, he's fine. Yeah, I had to die for him. It's kind of rough, it hurt. <laughs> no, with great joy. I, my favorite painting of Christ is a depiction of him laughing. With great joy, he's going to be so happy to see you. God loves you so much. I'm going to end with this. 
I once read, and it, it kind of blew my mind, from Genesis 3 all the way through Revelation, we read about a God who is reckless with love to get his family back. To get his family back. That's the goal. That's what he wants. He wants for each of us to be a part of his family again. And maybe you haven't made that decision. Maybe you've teetered on it. Maybe you've sat here in the pews for months and you've had other opportunities and you haven't taken it. And maybe you feel that little pull right now. And then maybe there's a little voice in your head saying, ah, this is awkward. Don't do it. You can do it later. Do it when you get home. Take a nap. You don't think straight when you're tired. Get a snack. Do it later. After dinner. You know what? People always fold their hands and pray at night next to their bed. Maybe that's when you can give your life to Christ. Friends, the time is now. Not later. Because you don't know what's going to happen in five minutes. Or an hour from now. You don't know. I don't know. This could be the last time I see all of you. It could be. But I know where I'm going. And I would ask to you. And if you don't, I want to give you that opportunity. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to say a prayer. And you know, I'm going to do the cardinal sin in church. I'm going to have everyone bow their, bow their heads. And then if you haven't prayed that prayer and you want to, I want you to raise your hand. Why? Because I want to celebrate with you. And so, if everyone, if you would bow your heads. I'm not going to bow mine. My eyes are going to be open. All right, so I'm going to see you. But it's not about that. It's about God. And it's about surrendering your life to him. And I want to challenge you. If there's any hesitation, just power through it. It's going to be so wonderful. And so, if there's anyone who hasn't yet given their life to Christ and wants to, you can raise your hand. And we're going to pray. And I'm going to give you a second. And I'm going to stop talking. Let's pray. Lord, this morning we are here in your house. We are so grateful for the truth that you have given us, that you can keep us in your presence, that you can keep us from falling away, that you can secure our salvation, that you can fasten us to you in a way that never, ever lets us go. And so anyone who's here who has ever doubted their salvation, anyone here who has ever been afraid that they've messed up one too many times. Anyone who's feeling shame now or in the past over mistakes that have been made. Lord, I ask that you come into their mind right now, that you clean it, that you wash it, and that you let them experience your great exceeding joy in doing so. Lord, you are so good. 
and so wonderful. And we love you. We love you so much. And it's in your son Jesus Christ's name that we pray. Amen. Would you stand for the benediction? Round two. Now every time I say this, you understand what I mean. And you understand what Jude meant, and you understand the wonderful promise that God gave you in Jude verse 24 and 25. Now unto him who is able to keep you from stumbling and present you blameless with great exceeding joy before his throne. To the only wise God, our Savior, be power and glory, authority and dominion, both now and forevermore. Amen. God bless you, church. Thank you.